Good morning. Welcome to Village Church. Um, thank you for everybody who's here in person and online uh, and whoever will watch this uh, in the future. Um, so here at Village Church, our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy him and to glorify him. And our vision for that uh, is to be broken people coming together to embrace and extend Christ's love. So thank you for joining in that. Um, I don't have any special announcements, um, just, a, just a couple of standard ones. Um, if you want to give to Village Church, you can do so online. Um, if you're here in person, there's a plate in the back of the room. You can also mail a check. Um, for those online, the, the address and the, the link to giving will be posted in the comments shortly. Um, and then also we have prayer on corporate prayer on Wednesday night. You can join via Zoom or here in person at the church. That's at 7 every Wednesday unless uh, otherwise noted. Those are all the announcements, so if you would, just join me in a prayer of preparation. Dear Jesus, thank you for gathering us here this morning, and uh, I would pray for everyone in this body, um, member and, and visitor and um, people connected with, with Village Church. Uh, I thank you for each of their stories, and I thank you for each of their, their lives and how they are part of this body, and uh, I pray that um, this morning even would be an encouragement to each of us and a challenge to each of us uh, to orient our lives ever more towards you. We're always being formed by our culture, our environment, our world, our family, our thoughts. Uh, everything is, is, is a crucible of formation all the time, and it takes real intentionality um, and submission to you to, to be formed into your image I thank you that you are doing that work and that you invite us to participate in it. Um, and so I pray that even this morning you would prepare our hearts, that we would submit to you preparing our hearts to worship you and to love each other well. And uh, I pray for everybody who has a part in leading or supporting this service. Uh, thank you for, for their work and the time and the preparation they put in. And uh, we pray for wisdom. And above all this, we pray that your spirit would move and guide and lead us and that we would walk by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you would, please stand for our call to worship. It's taken from the lyrics of the song, Be Exalted. Sovereign Lord, we come to you, holy, righteous, faithful, true. To your name, all praise is due. Be exalted. Maker of heaven and earth, heights and depths, treasure of infinite worth, be exalted as your people proclaim, Lord, you are the Holy One. The light of your presence leaves sinners undone, but clothed in righteousness of your Son, in love you bid us to come, be exalted. Amen. Please bow for a word of prayer. Lord, 
you are the Holy One. You are faithful and true. And um, lately, your words um, that say to be still and know that I am God have been a meditation in my heart. And I find myself this morning after a very hectic, busy morning preparing (laughs) to fellowship with your people and preparing to um, just the busyness of doing the things that right now I just need to be still before you. Um, I desire, we desire to delight in your presence, but sometimes the stuff gets in the way, and a lot of times the enemy certainly gets in the way, and we have to be reminded that we wrestle not against flesh and blood or technology, uh, against computers and cables and cords. We wrestle against uh, principalities and all sorts of evilness and wickedness in high places. And that your word tells us to put on the the whole armor of God. And we're just thankful. We are thankful for the truth that lies in your word. I am thankful that you are not a man that you should lie. And I I am thankful. We are thankful that you are consistent. And we can depend on you. And that you are always in control. Even when it seems like things are going haywire. Nothing is beyond your ears or beyond your sight. And we can take confidence in that. We can rest in that. We can remain confident that we will see the goodness of the Lord. Uh, Not just in uh, the not yet, but in the now. We can experience your goodness. We are experiencing your goodness. Even as we stand here in this space, as we sit wherever we are on the other side of these screens, Lord, your word says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and we know that you are. If by no other reason that we're standing and sitting in your presence, taking our next breath. And we thank you for that. Lord, again, even in the crazy, in the chaos, in the things that happen that we don't understand, in the midst of shootings, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of our questions and our confusions of wondering why this and why that, we know, we can believe that you are still good. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are good. You are true. You are faithful. You are righteous. We can rest in that. We can be still and know that you are God. You are the sovereign One, the maker of the universe, in control of all of the things, you are good. So, God, I say all that to remind myself. I don't have to remind you. You know you. But I say all that to remind myself and to encourage your people of all of those things. And, God, I pray, um, as, as our brother said, when he needed you to to heal his son and do a mighty work in the life of his family, 
Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief today. It's in the mighty name of your son. We do pray and we give thanks and we say worthy, worthy, worthy. Amen. If you would, please um, be seated. for leading us in that prayer, patience. All right, so next we have a time of confession of sin, uh, followed by uh, just a few minutes of silent meditation. So I'm going to read that confession, which comes from 1 John 1, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then 1 John 1, 9, as an assurance of pardon, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Next, I'm going to read from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 32, which is the passage of Scripture from which our sermon is going to be based this morning. So if you would hang tight with me. Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, "Uh, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? But he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored. 
healthy like the other one. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, and my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, and he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. But knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Thank you, Wes, for reading all 32 of those verses. It is a a beautiful passage of Scripture, very dense in, uh, you know, the the details and the information that is there. Uh, But such a God-exalting, Christ-exalting, Spirit-exalting passage uh, that I'm excited for us to dig into on today. Uh, So a couple things. I have never used Alex's amen sign. But today I am very tired. I am probably functioning on two to three hours of sleep for the past two weeks every night. Uh, my, my son Christian, uh, he has regressed in his sleeping. So we're kind of working, working through some of that. So I need y'all to talk to me this morning. So that not only you don't fall asleep, but so that I don't fall asleep while I'm standing up here today as well. Uh, but uh, let, let's go to the Lord uh, in a prayer of supp- supplication and ask him to, to, to bless uh, our time as we, uh, we dig into God's word as well. Father in heaven, you are... 
You are good. You are a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You keep steadfast love for thousands. You forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. But you are a God who will by no means clear the guilty. And Lord, since that is your character, we put our hope, our faith, and our trust in you and in you alone. God, this is your world. You declare to the people of Israel after you delivered them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt that all the world is mine. I'm reminded of a quote by Abraham Kuyper who echoes that sentiment that there's nothing, not one inch of the world of the universe, of the entire cosmos, cosmos that the Lord God Almighty doesn't declare mine. So, Lord, you see our world because it's yours. Lord, not only are you transcendent above our world, but you are imminent. You are in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. You decided to take on flesh and tabernacle with us. We have not a high priest who is removed from the trials, the struggles, the tribulations of this world. So, Lord, you see and you know the brokenness because you experienced it firsthand. You laid down your life for sinners. You endured the brokenness of this world for the joy that was set before you. So, Lord, we know that the marketplace can't heal the world. Our politics can't heal the world. Our money, our resources, our, our jobs, our accolades, our college degrees, the amount of books we've read, the physical exertion uh, that we put out, nothing can change the world. Nothing can save us but you. So, Lord, we bring our cares, our, our worries, and we cast them on you. Lord, we, we can philosophize and, and, and rationalize what we think will, will fix this country, what we think will fix this world. at the end of the day, we, we, we really don't know. What we do know is that the world is broken, and you're the only one that can do something about it. So we, we bring these things to you. Lord, I don't have the solution. It's above my pay grade, but I know that I must put my hope and my trust in you because you're the only one who can change things. So God, as the, as the church, as the people of God, we put our hope in you. Lord, we ask just as the Hebrew children asked in the fiery furnace when Nebuchadnezzar turned the furnace up seven times hotter, that even, even in the midst of the, the suffering, even in the midst of the brokenness, we will not bow to the idols of this world. And that even if things don't go the way that we think they should go, we 
know and acknowledge that you can change things and you are still yet worthy of praise. You are still yet worthy of worship and glory and honor. And we give that to you, Lord Jesus. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we do pray and agree in these things. Amen. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. These are the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 2, as his disciples marveled at the magnificence of the temple in Jerusalem. The importance of the temple to Jewish life and culture during this time could not be understated. The temple in Jerusalem was the very house of God. It was the place where religious life and practice took place. And the temple was central for Jewish people. It was central to what it meant to be Jewish. But in Matthew 24, verse 2, Jesus prophesied that it would be destroyed. Not one brick would be left upon another. And the Lord Jesus' prophecy came to pass in 70 AD when Roman soldiers under the leadership under the leadership of the Roman Emperor Vespasian and his general, his son Titus, uh, they burned the Jerusalem temple to the ground and completely destroyed its beauty and its magnificence. I can only imagine the dread of the Jewish community as they watched in horror as the very house of God was consumed with fire. This this great monument that was near and dear to the hearts of Jewish people was no more. The prized possession of Jewish life and culture was now an ash heap. But despite the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, there is a great truth that still remains. And this great truth rises up from the ashes of the temple like a phoenix reborn. Something greater than the temple is here. The second Jerusalem temple and the one before it, with all their beauty and splendor, were only meant to be temporary pictures of something greater that was to come. And my brothers and sisters, something greater than the temple is here. And it is not a building adorned with precious metals and precious stones. It is not a sophisticated edifice built with the latest architectural uh, technologies and techniques. This something greater is a person. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the greater temple is the Lord of the Sabbath, 
who inaugurated the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God and secured forgiveness and rest for his children, but ensured judgment for his enemies. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ, the greater temple, is the Lord of the Sabbath who inaugurated the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God and and secured forgiveness and rest for his children and ensured judgment for his enemies. Now, our passage today, uh, Matthew 12, verses 1 through 32, comes directly after Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30, where Jesus declares that all things have been handed over to him by his father. And in verses 28 through 30 of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus offers rest to all those who would come to him. And from Jesus' offer of rest in chapter 11, Matthew turns his attention to the Sabbath in chapter 12. Now, what's peculiar about the word Sabbath is that it carries the meaning of rest. And in the events here in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 32, uh, our events in this chapter take place take place on the sabbath day and in these verses jesus displays his greatness by demonstrating his lordship of the sabbath jesus christ again the greater temple is the lord of the sabbath who inaugurated the kingdom of god by the spirit of god and secures rest for his children but also ensures judgment for his enemies. And as we move through our passage today, I want us to see three ways that Jesus demonstrates, excuse me, four ways that Jesus demonstrates his greatness and his lordship. Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by interpreting the Sabbath correctly. Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by keeping the Sabbath properly. And Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by fulfilling Scripture. And lastly, Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by exercising power over the kingdom of Satan. Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by interpreting the Sabbath correctly. Verses one through eight. Now, again, our the events uh, in our passage on today take place on the Sabbath day. Now, Sabbath observance was instituted by Yahweh for the children of Israel. And after he delivered them from slavery, he gave the children of Israel the law of God. Exodus 20 verses eight through 11 tells us. That the Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week, and this day was set apart by Yahweh as a day to cease from all work. Now, the day itself was not inherently holy. It was holy because God set it apart and made it holy. Now, that fact will be important, very important later. Genesis 2 Verses 2 and 3 tell us that Yahweh created the cosmos in six days, and on the seventh day, he ceased from all his work. 
and the people of God were commanded to reflect him in this pattern and cease from all their work after six days. Now, this cessation from work was to include all living things under the purview of the children of Israel, including children, servants, and cattle. And it was on such a day, such a Sabbath day, that Jesus and his disciples found themselves walking through the fields of grain when the disciples started to pluck the heads of grain simply because they were hungry. And verse 2 of Matthew 12 tells us, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so we see here that the Pharisees bringing charges against Jesus and his disciples like prosecuting attorneys. And we know the Pharisees. We are we, we are familiar with their antics. You see, the Pharisees were, were strict adherents to the law of Moses, but they were strict in the sense of self-righteousness because they added extra biblical stipulations on top of the law of Moses. So these Pharisees held these these extra biblical stipulations as traditions and viewed them as the proper interpretation of what it meant to be faithful to the law of God. Ultimately, this made the Pharisees antagonistic to Jesus, to his disciples, and also to the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Uh, But Jesus, acting as a defense attorney, even better than Johnny Cochran, he defends his disciples by properly interpreting the Sabbath observance. Jesus establishes the the proper understanding of the the Sabbath based on two two precedents. In verses 3 through 5, Jesus says, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath day the, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Our Lord Jesus, so uh, he, as he as he always does, he 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 so eloquently uh, uh, interprets uh, the the law throughout the Gospels, and what Jesus does, he gets straight to the point of the law, straight to the heart of the Sabbath. In Mark chapter two verse twenty seven, Jesus says it like this: The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But then the Lord Jesus takes it up a level in verses six through eight when he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So not only was it was what the disciples did acceptable because of the correct understanding of the Sabbath, 
It was also acceptable because Jesus is greater than the temple and he is Lord of the Sabbath. So if maintaining the temple can require the priests to work on the Sabbath and they are subsequently considered guiltless in their work on the Sabbath day, how much more can the followers of Jesus, who is the greater temple, how much more can we be guiltless when we are under and submitted to his lordship? I want you to notice in verses 1 through 8 who's not talking. The disciples never said anything. And my brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't know what you get from that, but, but I am so glad that, that, that when I look at those verses, I am so glad that the Lord Jesus vindicates his children. Uh, we, we, sometimes we don't have to say anything. <laughs> but the Lord Jesus declared his disciples guiltless in their actions. So the Lord... He demonstrates his greatness and his lordship by interpreting the Sabbath properly. But he also displays this by keeping the Sabbath properly, verses 9 through 14. And so as our, our, as our passage continues, uh, Jesus is, is found again on the Sabbath day. Now, this, uh, this may be a, a different Sabbath day, but it is the Lord's, uh, the, the Lord's Sabbath Nonetheless, in verses uh, 9 through 14, uh, find Jesus doing what most people would expect uh, the Lord Jesus to be doing on the Sabbath day. Uh, Verses 9 through 14, find Jesus entering a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And verse 10 tells us, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked the Lord Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they asked him this in order that they might accuse him. So here come these hating old Pharisees trying to start some mess again. In verse 11, uh, Jesus says to them, Which one of you, who if he has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take a hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, in, in, a, in a parallel account to, to this event, tells us that Jesus, he looked around at them with anger because he was grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was so grieved by the hardness of heart of the Pharisees uh, uh, that it it filled him with anger because they were so antagonistic to his message and so committed to their incorrect interpretation of the gospel that it made them have no compassion for people who were suffering from debilitating conditions. You got to have a hard heart to look at people suffering and not care. And so Jesus establishes that there's no law against doing what's right, even on the Sabbath day. And the sections of the law of Moses that Jesus references here 
uh, these verses actually make it clear that knowing what is right to do but not doing it is the same thing as doing the wrong thing. So now that Jesus has reestablished the principle, he follows with the correct action. And in verse 13, he heals and restores the man's withered hand. Our brothers and sisters, can, can I modernize this for us today? We have to deal with the reality that some laws are unjust. In this case, it was not the law of Moses that was at fault. The law of God is perfect and holy. But at fault was the improper interpretation and application of the law by the Pharisees, which which was an injustice to the poor and to the oppressed. And Jesus stands against the injustice and their hardness of heart by doing what was right. My brothers and sisters, I can't help but think of Martin Luther as he nailed his 95 thesis to the door of Wittenberg Castle, uh, which was the start of uh, the Reformation after the oppression of people in the church. And from one Martin Luther to another, I can't help but think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as he championed freedom and the equality of all men. I can't help but think about the late John Lewis and the freedom riders who stood against the unjust laws of the South during the 1960s. The Lord Jesus calls us as his children, us also to do what is right even in the face of persecution. So Jesus demonstrates his greatness and his lordship by properly keeping the Sabbath. My brothers and sisters, there's so much richness in these verses. And and next, uh, the Lord Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by fulfilling the scriptures. So Jesus has now demonstrated his greatness and lordship by interpreting the Sabbath correctly. And he has demonstrated his greatness and lordship by keeping the Sabbath properly. Now, the next verses show us his greatness and lordship by his fulfillment of Scripture. Matthew's gospel throughout is passionate to show us how the Lord Jesus is the long anticipated Messiah by showing how he fulfills prophetic promises from the Old Testament. And this fulfillment motif, as scholars refer to it, uh, begins in the first chapter of Matthew and finds a steady rhythm throughout the book. And starting at uh, verse 14, uh, our text says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and and he healed them all. And ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, 
and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. These verses show us how Jesus is great by means of his humility and compassion. So Jesus doesn't need to walk around banging his chest like King Kong. Jesus doesn't need to, 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 start, to, to, to start a fight. He doesn't have to go around shouting his greatness and lordship in the town square. Because his greatness is proved by his proclamation of justice and by his compassion to all people. So Jesus demonstrates his greatness and his lordship by fulfilling scripture. And lastly, Jesus demonstrates his greatness and lordship by exercising power over the kingdom of darkness. Over the kingdom of Satan, verses 22 through 32. In verse 22, Jesus heals a demon oppressed man. And in verse 23, the people who witness this miracle are amazed and they ask amongst themselves, Can this Jesus be the son of David? Now, the promise of a son, a son of David, who would rule an everlasting kingdom is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, in the immediate context of 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, it refers primarily to Solomon. But if you take a close look at that text, many of the elements of 2 Samuel chapter 7 were not fulfilled by Solomon. So the Jewish people were awaiting this Davidic king, who would rule an everlasting kingdom and deliver the children and the people of God. So the people in our text here in Matthew 12 are amazed at Jesus's authority. And they are wondering among amongst themselves if if this Jesus could be that that Davidic king who would liberate the people of God. But again, our antagonists. Those hating, mean, non-compassionate Pharisees are are here in in the text again. And in verse 24, it says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. But Jesus, he wastes no time pointing out the absurdity of their accusation. And in verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, knowing their thought, it says, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, every kingdom against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? In other words, that makes no sense. Jesus then takes it to another level in verses 27 through 29. He says, and if if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? 
Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder the house. My brothers and sisters, this is the authority of God. This is the authority of the spirit. And Jesus is able to cast out demons by the spirit of God. There is a tale of two kingdoms here. It is the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of God. And Jesus's power over the kingdom of darkness proves his greatness and lordship. And it is proof that the kingdom of God has come. So in verse 30, Jesus asks, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he may indeed plunder his house. The only way to subdue a strong man is to first bind him and take away his authority. And so in order to do this, you must have higher authority and more power than the strong man. And so Jesus is the one who was plundering the kingdom of Satan by saving people from the kingdom of darkness because he is the son to whom God has handed over all things. Jesus is the Lord's anointed king from Psalm 2. I get happy when I think about Psalm 2. He is the anointed king from Psalm 2 whom God has given authority over the nations and over the entire earth. Listen to Psalm 2 verses 6 through 12. This is Yahweh speaking. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. My brothers and sisters, this speaks of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who exercises authorities, authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. And the end of our passage, uh, Matthew further demonstrates Jesus' authority as ruler and judge. Verses 30 through 32 says, again, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven quickly. Let me explain that. This is a sin that is so egregious that when you know the spirit of God is at work, you will deny the working of the power of God. That means that you are reprobated (laughs) there is no hope there is no chance for you and verse 32 continues it says and whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven but whoever speaks against the holy spirit will not be forgiven 
either in this age or in the age of com- age to come. There is no hope for a person who will deny the spirit of God when they know for a fact that the spirit of God is at work. So Jesus has proven himself in our passage and in the history of redemption that he is the greater temple. He has proven himself to be the long-awaited son of David, the son of man, the Messiah. He has proven that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But I got to ask you a question, my brothers and sisters. Has he proven, has it been proven that he is the Lord of your life? Jesus will be the Lord of your life. But either he will be the Lord of wrath and judgment or he will be the Lord who grants Sabbath rest. There are only two options because this text tells us if you are not with the Lord, then you are against him. So I pray that if you are here, if you are watching via the live stream, I pray that you would submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and come to him in faith and repentance because he offers rest for the weary. He offers justice for the oppressed. He offers mercy for the needy. He offers love for the brokenhearted. He offers salvation for the lost. Jesus is the greater temple. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is the greater Adam. Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the great I am who existed as God the Son in eternity, who is co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit. And he is worthy of all praise and glory. He is worthy of unconditional allegiance. And he is worthy of our praise and our adoration. So my brothers and sisters, again, is he the Lord of your life? Because he has proven who he is without shadow of a doubt. I pray that you would run to the son, into his embrace, because he calls us to something more radical than work. Something harder, especially in this culture. He calls us to something far more radical than tying up your bootstraps and getting it done. And and he calls us to something far more radical than self-righteousness. He calls us and grants us rest. How radical of a concept is that? So I pray that you would experience the rest that our great God, our great Lord offers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the, the rest that is available through the Lord Jesus by the power of the Spirit. We ask that we would experience this rest, this Sabbath, this shalom, even in the midst of the darkness of this world. Because you call us to this rest here and now. And we will assuredly experience it in a much deeper way when you come back for the church. And so we look forward to that rest, that ultimate rest, 
as we see you face to face. But, Lord, we ask that you would give us a glimpse of your shalom even now. God, we thank you. We, we submit to your lordship and we acknowledge your greatness. Move in the hearts of your people. Save those who are unsaved because you are continuing to grow your church. And help us who have already believed to consistently remember who you are and to run to you because you have open arms. And not only do you have open arms, not only can we run to you, but you come after us. And we thank you for that. It is in Christ's name that I do pray and give thanks. Amen. All right, my brothers and sisters, we want to thank you all who have joined us today. Uh, Those of you who are with us here in person and those of you who have joined us via the live stream. Uh, But now we ask that you would stand uh, for the Lord's benediction to his beloved people. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.